Last week, last week we were in the Beatitudes. Um, man, was that, was that tough or was it easy? <laughs> yes, I can't tell what you're thinking because I can't see your faces. Uh, but we were reminded last week in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, verses uh, 3 through 12 in particular, um, of the blessings that God has given us and that they confirm once again that we are a peculiar people, right? We are so different. We are so distinct. Christians are. And the kind of character we saw last week that God calls blessed um, turns much of what you and I have been taught in this world system. A lot of the things we've been taught about self-sufficiency, about uh, drivenness, about retaliation, uh, about what matters most and what our rights are and all that stuff, God turned all that last week on its head as we went through the Beatitudes. At least, I hope you took it that way, because that was the intent that Jesus had as he talked to all the crowds around him and his disciples. And during COVID, the, the voices of our world's system, and I know you, we, all, we all know this, but it's good to be reminded, all these voices, and they do this every time, there's tragedy or, or whatever happens in our world, they hijack those situations, those circumstances. And in this case, they've hijacked the pandemic for their own selfish ends. And this is what men and, and women have done since Adam and Eve. Uh, it's nothing new. We're not surprised. And they may have even used words like freedom and God and country and our rights. But, but don't you find here in, in America sometimes our notions of freedom can often be at odds with our blessing of freedom in Jesus Christ, that they're not one in the same quite often. Sometimes they're diametrically opposed. And that became and becomes crystal clear as we go through the Sermon on the Mount together, especially as we, Jesus introduced it last week with Beatitudes. Uh, our fought-for national freedom that men and women have bled for uh, can be hijacked, and it is hijacked, to say things like, I know none of you would ever say this, my freedom is mine to enjoy how I want. Not, none of you have ever said that, I know, but maybe you've thought it. And that translates into sayings and, and statements that you hear quite often on the news and thereabouts. You can't tell me, you finish it, well, yeah, you all knew. It, it, it's, it's natural, right? It, it comes right out. Um, no prompting needed. Um, it's, it's, it's who we are. You can't tell me what to do. I know what's best. Yes, exactly. And freedom in Jesus Christ says, my freedom graced to me at the cost, at the cost of the God-man's life, Jesus Christ is for the purpose of serving my God and serving my neighbor. It's, it's pretty simple. It's another thing to live out. Galatians 5, 13, Paul puts it this way. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only don't do this. And this is what we're, we're so easily tempted to do. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge your flesh. Uh, you can't tell me what to do. I know what's best for me. But through love, whatever it takes, 
whatever the sacrifice, serve one another. But there's this, this great, and yet it's so subtle, temptation to abuse the freedoms and the opportunities that this amazing country affords us. To think of ourselves first, to please ourselves before our neighbor, it's, 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 it's natural. It's sinful. Have you ever been at a location, and then all of a sudden, maybe it was at a fair or something like that, and then there's this call, and they say, we're giving away free whatever, right? It could just be junk, all right? And what happens? You, boom. Yes, everybody is there, and it's, and it's almost comical to watch until you realize you're one of the people running to go get this sucker or whatever it is that they're giving away. Yeah. Um, we can be like kids at a candy toss. Adults can you know, uh, the bigger ones, bully the littler ones, and it's like five adults with 12, a 12 slice pizza. What happens to the slices? Are you thinking that even before you open the box? Just asking. In Christ, we're called to live with a concern. This, this every day, wake up, go to bed with concern for, for those who are vulnerable, for those who are prone to sickness, to those are being marginalized to those who are uncared for. And before we look into the rest, some more of the sermon this morning, let's pray. Our Father, our Father in heaven, lead us not into this kind of temptation, but deliver us from evil, because yours is the power, yours is the glory, yours is the kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Our King, our Lord and Master, whom we serve, began to teach in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. In the Beatitudes, let's, let's all face it, it's a lifelong process of transformation. And we continue today in verses 13 to 16. So if you have your Bibles or your mobile devices open, we'll have most of it on the screen. But there's something about holding it and going along with it. At least that's what Ben and I think. Right, Ben? The Beatitudes are a, are a lifelong process of, of transformation. And as we continue today in these next couple verses, Jesus is kind of convening his house of representatives. Uh, each one of us, each one of them, an appointed member, appointed by God. And he says in verse 13, You, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is to be placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way as the salt and the light, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So on the heels of these eight blessings that we went over, these, these things that God considers blessed last week, particularly the last one that Jesus ended with, where we, where we discovered that we will live in a world of threat. We will live in a world of even persecution and now we're given our responsibilities in light of all of that. And more importantly, where the power to fulfill what God asks actually comes from. 
there's a, there's a penetrating power, and I hope that we see this every week that we go to God's Word, no matter where we are, Old and New Testament, there's a penetrating power that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and, and it comes from the people of God who he is transforming through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus here likens them to salt and light. Are you salty today? <laughs> I guess you could take that a number of ways. Uh, well, darkness envelopes our planet, and it always has. Where, while leaders of, on our planet in every country look quite hopeless and helpless at times, there is still, there has always been the light of the gospel. And that's our hope. That's our living hope. That's what gets us up in the morning, right? And in verses 13 to 16, they, they come appropriately. Of course, Jesus is preaching the sermon, so everything's appropriate. Uh, but they come appropriately right after the Beatitudes. And I love that because it's we, the little people, as far as the world and its system is concerned, we, the humble, people with no merit, who admit they have no merit of their own, uh, but who have, who have accepted and been blessed by God, who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, death, and death on the cross and resurrection from the grave of God's Son uh, for, for our sin debt, our unrighteousness. And we have been enabled. We have been enabled with the characteristics of verses thir 3 through 12, the Beatitudes, the blessings of God, through Christ's righteousness. So now we are declared righteous. See, by God's grace, we can do this. And we've been enabled with the characteristics in order to glorify God by being salt and light. So we're going to take a look at what does that mean? What does it mean to be salt? What does it mean to, to be light? Blessed? Yes, we are. But what's our responsibility? Because it can't be for ourselves. It never is. Well, if we display the characteristics of the Beatitudes, all eight, the lifestyle that God calls blessed, we will be salt and light. We will not be able to help being salt and light. Salt. What do you think of when you think of salt? The ocean? Um, what? Steak. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good one. Yeah. There's this, there's this purity, first of all, about salt. When, when a Jew would bring a sacrifice to the temple, um, it would be salted before it was offered. There's this idea of purity, of, of, of cleansing that comes from salt. Um, and that's a huge concept that Jesus is capitalizing on here. It's a concept that he's setting up for us to understand that our lives are to be salted, living sacrifices to God. Consider how Paul, much, much later than this sermon, later on, compares our daily living, our daily lives, when we get up in the morning till we go to bed at night, that they're lived before God as living sacrifices. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as, here it is, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, 
which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That would be the Beatitudes. That's the will of God for my life and for yours as a follower of Jesus Christ. So we are salt. Why? Because of something we did? We are salt because God has infused us with salt. He makes us living sacrifices. We are not acceptable to be offered as sacrifices. We do not have the wherewithal within ourselves to live out the Beatitudes. Oh, people try. They work really hard. They say, I'll do better. Religions have been formed around these characteristics, but they all fail miserably. God had to provide the acceptable sacrifice to make this all possible, to spare us from the death penalty, and upon trust in that sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, he also is transforming us into salted sacrifices to represent him in this life, here and now, and salt is not just pure, has that idea of purity, but salt is a preservative. Whatever is good in this world is from God. And we have been asked to keep it wholesome. We God follow, God's followers were supposed to oppose whatever is corrupt. We are to penetrate society. We, re we really are. But, but here's the caveat. In quiet and peaceful ways. For good. That's a concept. Whoa, right? In our day and age that we live. Quiet and peaceful ways. And in that way, we act as kind of a, a moral antiseptic. But maybe most of all, salt gives flavor. Somebody mentioned steak. And that is what Christians are meant to be. We, uh, we bring life to the party. I mean, literally. We bring life to the party. Not death. Not despair. Not a lack of hope. But we bring life. And aren't there just certain people that you know that if you were putting on an event and you were going to invite people to come over for a barbecue or a bonfire or to go out and do something, aren't there certain people that are in the forefront of your thoughts? You're like, we have to invite, right? you put in the name, why? What is there about them that, that makes you think of them before everyone else? Why are they so likable? What, what is it? And, and, and you invite them because they're alive. They bring life to the party. They're wholesome. They're, 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 they're fun to be around. They're not a downer. Um, their words that they use communicate kindness and thoughtfulness. And they're always asking you how things are and, and what's going on in your life. And they rarely talk about themselves. Those, you know what I'm talking about. They might even be people who question the status quo, and you like that because you don't want things to just go along 
without anything happening, any life going on, and they, they get stuff going. Uh, they shake things up, and, and they're always looking out for other people's welfare. But what if, Jesus asks, but what if the salt has lost its flavor? Well, you don't get invited to any parties. <laughs> you lose your flavor, and you're not going to be sought out. You're going to be pushed off to the side. I believe Jesus described it as actually thrown out and trampled on. Uh, it's not fun. And this statement, by the way, of salt losing its flavor, I've got, I got to say because there are skeptics always who, uh, are, who challenge whether the Word of God is really the Word of God. Well, there's a mistake there. So either the writer is not inspired by God or it's not the Word of God. And some people have challenged a little technical problem here and even suggested that Jesus couldn't have been God because he doesn't know everything. And God knows everything because sodium chloride, salt, does not lose its taste. But, here we go, back into history. The salt used by the Jews and, uh, and, and others in the Middle East, especially in first century Palestine, was really impure. It was very impure. And it was quite possible for the sodium chloride in that impure substance to get leached out. And people knew about this. So what remains lacks the sodium chloride, the, the saltiness, and specifically that salty taste that everybody wants. And what could possibly be done with it, Jesus asks. Jesus says, can you make it salty again? It's not possible to put the salt back into it. Um, its purpose, its effectiveness, why you got it in the first place and probably paid a good price for it, was because of its saltiness. So its fate is to be thrown out. It's useless as salt. But you, follower of Jesus Christ, you and I are not useless, are we? We're representatives of the King of Kings. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And we have been granted all of the rights and all of the authority that come with being a child of the king. So let's encourage each other as we go forward, day in and day out, no matter what befalls us and what happens in this country. Let's encourage each other to be what God has made us to be, salt. Our saltiness results in living out the, the Christian character that has been depicted in the Beatitudes. It is not impossible. That's, that's Christian discipleship, demonstrated in deed and in word. And if we Christians, if we become assimilated to this world system, if we become contaminated with the impurities that the world will bring into our lives and does, that's when we lose our influence. The influence we Christians have in and on society depends on our being distinct, not identical. That's the salt. Now, light. Really popular theme when you read through the Gospel of John. And here in Matthew, Jesus says, we are. A light can be a warning. 
Uh, think, of a, think of a lighthouse, you know, warning people of, uh, and warning ships of, of hidden rocks, exposing uh, the path to go on through the fog when you don't know where you are or what's up and what's upside down, and there's the light, and oh, now we got it. Now we can see. It's a warning. A light can often be a guide. Think of um, being shown the way you're supposed to go because you have a flashlight in a dark forest pathway showing you what's coming, what's, what's, what's ahead. Think of, think of driving your vehicle on a country road on a dark, cloudy night without your headlamps. Darkness is not something to be played with. Darkness is not something to take advantage of or to, or to be ignored. Um, as teenagers, my friends and I could be completely stupid. Can I, can I get a witness? I mean, when you think back on your teen life, life are you sitting here today saying, how am I even alive today, right? Because you just, sorry for teenagers, we're just idiots. Um, we would drive, so if you, parents, you can talk to your kids after about this one. We would drive on a dark country road, like four or five guys packed into a car, because that's what you do, and turn the lights off while still barreling down the country road. Dumb? Absolutely, yes. Stupid, thoughtless, senseless. Enlightening to what the fear of darkness really is? <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. Have you ever heard a teenage boy scream in, in terror? Yeah, there's always that guy in the back seat, and everybody else wanted to, but... It wasn't cool, so we just let one other guy do it. And here Jesus is referring to a light because it is visible. Because in darkness, lights are visible. Duh. Don't turn your lights off in the dark. That's dumb. It's visible for a reason. There's no excuse for, like, secret discipleship, secret Christians. There's no excuse for people not to know we're followers of Jesus Christ after they know us for a while. Uh, a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. That's how Jesus put it. You don't take the trouble to light a candle in order to immediately blow it out. Right? Or to hide it. It's lit because it's needed. It's desperately needed because there's darkness. And it's the only thing that can penetrate the darkness. And all this is possible only because Jesus Christ is the light of the world. That's why we can be salt. That's why we can be light. Until he has illuminated us, this is so key because I think there's a lot of people walking around with weak batteries, not because of God being weak or the Holy Spirit being weak, but them being in tune with what he's attempting to do and wanting to do. And until Jesus Christ has illuminated us, we can never shine with his reflected light. It's just logical. 
there's this imperative that Jesus is setting up here for, for you and I to shine for him. But our brightness is based on the necessity of being lit up by him. People will see our good deeds done because of the light of Jesus Christ, the power of Jesus Christ, not us, and they will not praise us. This is hard to get over for some people. You don't look for the praise of men. You look at people to praise God because of what you did, that we point to him, and they see Jesus Christ the ultimate source of all of our light reflected through us. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. That's, isn't that like a wow? Does that give you any chills? The light of the world implies what? That the world's in darkness. Despite its continuing claims to be enlightened, to have all the answers, that we as humans will figure this out, that we will become a better society, that we will change the world, that we'll this, 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 a whole list of things. Um, you can hear that list every four years, or actually every two years now, at the Olympics, before and after in those closing and opening ceremonies. And Jesus says, you are the light of the world. But isn't that an expression that should only be given to Jesus? John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In chapter 9, the next chapter, verse 5, Jesus says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. What about when Jesus leaves? He goes back to be with the Father. Where does the light come from now? Verse, uh, chapter 12 of John, verse 35. The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. And while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Isn't it interesting to find it used here in the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' first messages to the people in Mass, that it's used of us. You are the light of the world. Right off the back, that. His followers. The difference is, of course, that Christ is himself the light, whereas we as followers are no more than pointers or reflectors to Jesus Christ, the light. Paul said in Ephesians 5, 8 to 11, for at one time we were in darkness. Now, I don't know what your state is today, whether you're a follower of Jesus Christ or not. But for all of us, there was a time when we were in darkness and we couldn't see. But now you are light in the Lord. So if that is true for you, Walk as children of light. In other words, the Beatitudes. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and all that is right and all that is true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. The Beatitudes. 
take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. That's where you used to be, and it didn't work out well then. What makes you think it's going to work out well now? Nothing's changed, but instead expose them like someone did for you. Philippians, Paul puts it this way in chapter 2, verses 14 and 16. Do all things, boy, this, this is like for our day and age, do all things without grumbling or dispute. Aren't you temp- tempted to, to grumble and dispute at times? When, when stuff happens, when you're told, yeah, I am too. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. That's where we live. That's, that's where you and I are at. Among whom you what? You're going to shine as lights in the world. What kind of shining are, is the church community, our Christians doing in our culture today? Uh, on Facebook, in blogs, in the news, even news stations that would make us think that they are Christian holding fast to the word of life. God ordained that you and I would reflect the light to the world and bring the world to the light in this particular, in this very peculiar way, as the the Beatitudes point out. And it won't take place apart from God empowering us. Both of these images have something important to say to us about our involvement, about a Christian's involvement in the society as we find it today, the mess that it's in. It's always been a mess, you know? And these four, just four little verses on salt and light argue against all separation, all forms of a Christian withdrawing from his neighborhood, from, from, from his community. We have been empowered by God himself through the Holy Spirit of God to get involved and to be a light and to be a preservative. We're not promised that we're going to be able to Christianize the values of the world. Forget about it. We're not asked to legislate morality as a way to change people's views on things. It's not going to happen. It doesn't work. But we're challenged to be an irritant. Yeah, I said it. Uh, an irritant, but in a good way, for a good thing. You know, it's, it's, it reminds me of like, like, did you ever have a, like a, this precious person in your life? Like maybe a grandma or grandfather who, who always had your best interests in mind, who, who treated you so kind and, and well, but they would warn you, she would warn you about making bad choices. In, in, in her own way, because she's seen it, she's done it, she knows it. Yes, different era, different time, same sins. Nothing's changed. And it's usually later, as you reflect on your life, um, that her saltiness, her, her light, and that's when you remember it. And that's when you acknowledge that, ah, oh, Grandma was right. Well, people in our circles who we rub shoulders with, well, we're not rubbing shoulders anymore, but um, who we're six feet apart from, well, people in our circles see us and remember us in that way. Um, that we marched to a different drumbeat, 
definitely to a different calling. But we did it with their best interest in mind. The basic truth behind the of salt and light that Jesus is, is using is that the church, you and I, and the world are very distinct communities. There could be nothing more opposite. And on the one hand, there's the world. And on the other hand, there is you, follower of Jesus Christ, the King. And it's true that these two communities, the world and you and I, are related to each other. We're humans. We all have a sin nature. But their relatedness depends on their distinctness. And it's important for us, you and I in the church, to see this so clearly today because it's, it's so fashionable now, even in the church, or maybe even especially in the church, to blur the distinction between the church and the world with the idea that that would make us more acceptable, that more people would come to church if there wasn't a distinctness. To refer to all humanity indiscriminately as the children of God. Are all people created by God? Yes. Are all people, therefore, the children of God? No. But we don't want to offend anyone. Yeah, because Jesus never offended anyone. <laughs> we don't want to lose numbers because that's what is the sign of success. And we definitely don't want to lose any giving and offering. Sorry. But we taste different. And we have the light of Jesus Christ that exposes all of that as folly. Did you notice that the Sermon on the Mount described what a Christian is first before talking about what a Christian is supposed to do? For Jesus, obedience grows out of being blessed by God, the things that God calls blessed. The, the, the statement of our, of our condition, who we are as citizens of the kingdom, blessed, precedes the demands for discipleship. And if you think the salt and light was big, it's coming. Next week, we just go bang, 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 and hit them all. Does the very idea that you as a Christian can exert a healthy influence on your world stop you in your tracks? when you think about your family, your friends, people you work with, your neighbor, what possible influence you say could I, living out the Beatitudes, exert in this hard, cold world? What lasting good can a poor, meek, mourning, merciful peacemaker do? Aren't we just overwhelmed with the, the flood of evil in, on our pl uh, present planet? especially when we're in a small minority and shrinking. Jesus did not share that kind of skepticism. He didn't see it that way at all. The world will undoubtedly persecute you, he said. Yet I'm asking you to love that persecuting world. Incredible as it may sound, Jesus referred to a handful of Palestinian peasants with this sermon, sitting around him on a, a mountain to be salt and light in one of the most merciless, dominated world systems, Rome, that the world has ever known. 
so far-reaching were the salted-by-God peasants that history records it for us. The spread of the gospel is amazing. It's a miracle. It's also a remarkable providence of God that it's Matthew that we're reading here. You realize he's the most Jewish of all four of the Gospels? That we would read such an allusion to our whole planet, to a worldwide influence, that Christ followers, initially Jews, so let's all rise together. Will you rise with me? Let's rise and close by responding together to God's grace to his amazing light and life-giving truth. And let's praise him as one in song. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. Your words cut through all the noise. Your words expose our, our lives and where we're at right now in reference to you. And we're challenged. We're encouraged. We, we're convicted. All these things happening at the same time. And you have a plan. And you have a purpose for each of us, even this afternoon. And I pray we go as salt. And I pray we go as light. And we realize from whence our power comes. And we pray this in Jesus Christ's most precious name. Amen. Mm -hmm.